Is Cher here someplace? There you are, Cher. Um, yeah, I just wanted to do a couple things first. One is, can you give us a report on Ken? At this point, we're going to um, dismiss the children up through, I think, third grade. Um, I don't say this every week, so I don't know. But I think it's up through third grade for Children's Church. Um, I, I understand, I mean, I saw this myself. As we were driving to church from south, there was a terrible accident out there. And um, I don't know, do we know anything about the details of this, Nancy? I, I understand maybe you, you know the, the person who was hurt. I, I hate to dump that on you. but. That they were taken to Shands, is that what my understanding? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let yeah. Yeah. well, let's let's pray. Let's pray for for Ed, Holy Father. Every one of our lives is in your hands, and we know that includes Ed's as well. We don't know whether Ed knows you, and and whether he's a believer, person who's secure for all eternity, but we do know that you love him and that you sent your son to die for him. And we pray for his healing, um, physical, but also spiritual healing. We pray that as um, whatever's going on right now, that he would be um, oh so cognizant of the fact that you extend your grace to him. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been in a position to hire somebody, to offer somebody a job. You know, maybe you work for a business and maybe you're one of the people who makes hiring decisions. And you, you know what the job is. You have a description, a job description. Of course, if you're organized, you have a job description. And you know exactly what you want. You know just the kind of person you want. And so they come in and they've given you their resume and, they've and they sit down and they tell you all about why they want this job, and you talk to them about what, the, what their previous job experience. You try to match the candidate with the job you have. 
You don't hire somebody for the wrong job, hopefully. Well, in the next few weeks, while Ken is in Cameroon and even after he's back, we want to look at several individuals in the Bible, people whose stories are told in Scripture who just weren't obvious choices for the jobs they got. We're calling it references not required because it seems that God's attitude towards what is required for a job is just not like our attitude. He's not looking for the same characteristics as we would. I've been reading a book about the, the SEALs, the Navy SEALs. I guess this is maybe the third or fourth book that I've read. And always these books describe in great detail the training that these guys go through, and it's just, it's grueling. You know, the SEALs are the elite warriors of the Navy, and, and of course we have a uh, connection to Worth MacArthur um, from this church who's in SEAL training right now. Um, it, I tell you, you read these books, it's not going to make you go, golly, I'd like to be. No, you wouldn't <laughs> think that at all, okay? These are people who are the best of the best, it appears, when they start They're incredibly well qualified. And the training seems to be designed to to weed out the people who are merely very good and to take the ones that are left and to to form them a different way. The the training is physically grueling, and honestly, it, it seems it's almost impossible to read these books and not think it's psychologically abusive. They're subjected to incredible cold, and fatigue, and sleeplessness, and everything that you would think that would make it tough to stay. And they're given the opportunity over and over and over again to voluntarily withdraw. And it's made pretty easy. You put your helmet down, you ring the bell, and, you're, and you can leave. You can go back to the fleet, as they say. And if you don't do that, well, then it's, it's push-ups and push-ups and, and punishments for real or perceived failings of somebody else. And it's go jump in the ocean and roll around in the sand and then come back and let's do some more push-ups and let's do some more flutter kicks and let's do... And it's awful. And you can tell that it's awful. And it just... And it seems like it goes on and on. At least the descriptions in the books seem like they go on and on. I think it would be even worse for these guys. But after... All these opportunities to quit, some remain. And the instructors continue to pound on them, to scream at them, to stress them without any mercy at all, it seems, and to push them beyond any reasonable limits. And you know, even if they don't quit, some of them are not fast enough. They don't shoot well enough. They're not strong enough. They're not smart enough to stay. And they're released. Back to the fleet. A class might shrink from 160 down to 25 men. That seems to be very typical. The elite. Those who remain are qualified to, re- to receive the trident, the, the trident is the symbol, and to be called Navy SEALs. Those are people who are qualified for the jobs that they're called to. Let's pray. Holy Father, we serve you in our weakness, 
we serve you in our incompetence, but we serve a powerful God. We serve a God of great strength and a God of great love and a God of great compassion. And as we study your word, we ask that you would give us insight into it, that we might not go out of here the way we came in, that we might be different people than when we began this morning. We pray that you would bring us to the place where you want us today. For it is in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I want you to turn in your copy of the Bible to Joshua 2. We often talk about the promised land, and, and just to remind you, the promised land is that area around the Jordan River going from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. It's that area around there and then really around even that that God gave, he promised. This, this would probably be why they call it the promised land, though I'm not totally sure of that. Um, he promised to Abraham, and yet Abraham didn't get the promised land. He did see part of it, but he never received any of it. And his descendants were, in fact, enslaved down in Egypt, not part of the promised land. But eventually they're rescued through the Exodus. And you remember that story. And they come first to, to Mount Sinai, and then they come to the south of the promised land, to a place called Kadesh Barnea. You remember the, the story. The nation comes to that place, and Moses sends out 12 spies. And this is what he told them. He told them what he wanted, them to, what he wanted to know. I mean, if you send spies someplace, you, you want to know something. Here's what he wanted to know. He says, go up through the Negev, that's the south part of the land, and then go up into the hill country, that's the middle part of the land, and see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, few or many, and whether the land they live in is good or bad, and whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or fortified cities, cities with walls around them, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether or not there are forests in it, and be brave, and bring back some of the fruit of the land. And so the spies traveled through the entire land. They really went an amazing an amazing distance, all the way up into the northern part of the land. And then they came back to report, and they brought two different messages. First, they said that indeed the, the land was beautiful and lush. It was, you've heard this phrase, a land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it was a place where there was everything in abundance. Okay, it wasn't literally flowing with milk and honey, just in case you were, were wondering about that. But it was, it was lush and beautiful. And in fact, they brought back a cluster of grapes that was so big they had to string it on a, on a, on a stick between two guys to carry it. So it was, it was pretty amazing. But they had a second message. The inhabitants are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, that we saw the descendants of Anak, meaning giants, there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So it's a wonderful place, but there's these people there, and they live in these fortified cities. And, and you know what happened. They flinched. They're like, whoa, well, we, we can't do that. And they complained, and they said, well, why in the world would God have brought us right here? And... And, and 
I mean, we're better off in Egypt. And they, they talk about electing, this is a good beginning for democracy, electing a new leader who will lead them back to Egypt. But that doesn't happen. They were afraid of the Canaanites and the others that were in the land before them, and they didn't trust the Lord to deliver quite literally the land to them. So they won the right to wander around in the, in the wilderness for almost another 40 years. And after that, the Lord gives them a second chance, and he leads them through the lands to the south. If you look at, I didn't make a map for you, but if you look, if this is the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, and here's the Dead Sea, he leads them around to the south and east of the Dead Sea. And they come through, and they have to fight uh, Sihon of the Amorites and Og. That's a great name, Og. Don't name any of your kids Og, but otherwise it's a great name, of Bashan. And at the very end of Numbers, they're poised just to the east of the Jordan River, ready to go across a fairly significant river to Jericho. And at the beginning of Joshua, they're camped at this town called Shittim, east of the Jordan, ready to cross. But Joshua, who you'll recall, was one of the original 12 spies that were sent into the land, decides that spying would be a good thing. We should send, but he'll just send two, and they're only going to report to him. We're not going to have any of this democracy stuff. He sends two spies. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. Jericho was the first fortified city that they would encounter. It was fairly close to the Jordan, and he knew that that was going to be the first one that they were going to have to take. It was a city with a double wall around it, and it was considered very secure. So these men's, men were spies, and they're proceeding with a stealthy um, intent. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So they came to Rahab's house. She may have been an innkeeper. Some of the Jewish texts seem to think that she was an innkeeper. She was, uh, the New Testament definitely says also that she was a prostitute, and you can kind of see that combining those two, two jobs would work. You would have the, the lodgings for it. Well, we won't go into that. It was also a logical place where the spies might not be noticed. Here's men who are traveling and they're not from the area, and maybe they wouldn't be quite so noticeable. Rahab, of course, is not a Jew. She's a Canaanite. She's one of the people who is going to be wiped out by all of this. She's a citizen of Jericho. The Canaanites were about as far from God as you could get. They worshipped Baal. They were awful people. I mean, they were just terrible people. I mean, the, the kinds of religious practices and so forth, they were very, very, very wicked. Some historians believe that they sacrificed children as part of their, their religious rituals. They were, they were awful. The Israelites were not allowed to intermarry with them or have anything to do with them. You know, of course, that, that the Lord didn't even permit, him, permit them to leave these people in the land. They were so bad. They would have been such an awful influence on Israel. Well, these two Jews have slipped into the city and into Rahab's establishment under false pretenses. They're probably this disguised as traveling merchants or itinerant motivational speakers or something, okay? And so they slip into this place, and unfortunately, in verse 2 we read, it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. 
And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. I mean, these guys don't even get to verse 2 before they get caught, right? The king knows what's going on. And he sends, you know, the police to arrest the spies. But it's kind of interesting. He's, they don't break down the door or anything. They say to Rahab, bring those guys out. Lady, you don't know it, but those guys that came here earlier today, they're spies. They're not itinerant motivational speakers. They're spies. Okay, so... Well, Rahab, it develops, has done something very surprising. Verse 4, Now the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to, to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you'll overtake them. I mean, go now and you might catch them is what she's saying. But she had brought them up onto the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. She was drying this flax. That's the way they, they did it. So the men pursued after the spies on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So she says, listen, um, they didn't stay. Just before the gates closed, they took off. And and you better go fast now, and you might be able to catch them. But they're all the while, they're up on the roof. She's hidden them, which is odd. Now, I understand that if you read the commentaries, you'll often find that they'll talk about the, the law of hospitality, and if you take somebody in your house, and all that kind of thing. But it's still kind of odd that you take the spies into your house. It's your town that they're going to want to defeat, Okay? It's, it's your friends and family that they're going to kill. It's kind of surprising that you would do this and that you would protect them, but she does. She lies to the police and she protects Jericho's enemies. She's hidden them on the roof, but she says that the spies have left. Well, apparently she's really good at lying because the police go off after them. The police don't say, well, first we'd like to look through the house. No, they, they talk, take off. Oh, we better get out of the gate before it closes. So we can chase these guys down. And so they run off. She's a skilled liar. Well, the narrator at this point kind of doubles back on the story a little bit. Verse 8. Before the men had lain down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you whoa, this is kind of surprising. This woman is a Canaanite. And what is she saying? She's saying, everybody here is terrified of you guys. And, you know, the spies are probably thinking to themselves, I, I, I don't think they knew. You know, I thought we were kind of sneaking around. But, you know, it turns out that even if you know, they're on the other side of a big river, two million people is hard to, hard to hide. And, and the people in Jericho knew that they were coming. And she says they're terrified because they understand something very specific. They understand that the Lord has given the land to Israel and had taken it away from the people who are living there. How can she know that? In verse 10 it says this, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were 
beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Means completely destroyed. They've heard of this. They've heard that 40 years before the Exodus had occurred and that the Lord had taken his people out of Egypt. That's pretty amazing. And they've heard certainly what had happened just a few months before where they defeated Sihon and Og. The Canaanites are well aware that they are next because they're in Jericho and there's the Israelites across the Jordan. And she goes on and says this, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. What a great image. Our hearts melted. They were dispirited. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, Yahweh your God, he is God in in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The Canaanites realize that they're up against the sovereign God of the universe who is committed to Israel. If you read through Joshua, you'll see that the Canaanites don't exactly lie down. They, they fight very fiercely. But notice what Rahab says in verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. What does she ask for? She says, deal with me the way I've dealt with you. I've been, she says, kindly. I've dealt kindly with you. That's this word. We actually talked about this in Sunday school too. This is word hesed, which is a very important word in the Old Testament, which means essentially something like loyal love. It often refers to God's loyalty to his covenant people. Um, Here, there's not really this grounding of relationship between Rahab and the spies, okay? Um, So I don't think it's used for that exact purpose. There's not, at the beginning of this, any kind of agreement between them at all. But what she's saying to them is, I've given you grace. Please give me grace. And what does she want? She wants to protect her family, okay? She wants her, her father and her mother and her brothers and sisters I mean, I guess that she's not married and she doesn't have children. Um, she's wanting her family, though, protected. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you again, that's saying that, that word hesed. Um, the, this loyal love based now on a commitment, a covenant, an agreement, a contract between Rahab and the spies. The agreement is this if she doesn't rat them out, then they'll protect her family. Verse 15 Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. Now, this is a little confusing, but I'll explain it in a second. Now, she had said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. Rahab's house is apparently built against the wall, the outer wall of Jericho. It would make sense if if there were no building codes, and you could build your house anywhere you wanted. Well, you might as well find a big 
big solid wall that you could build against, and that's what she did. She had built it either against the outer wall or actually spanning between the two walls. But in any case, she has a window that looks out over the outer wall of Jericho. Okay, it's not a way to get in, but it turns out it's a way to get out. And so she puts a rope out to let these guys down, and she talks to them before she does. And she says, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Well, if you look from Jericho, probably the hills she's talking about are to the the north and west of Jericho. In other words, instead of going to the east, straight back to the Jordan, which is what they would be tempted to do, she says, go hide in the hills for three days. And in three days, the police will give up. Okay, that's what she's telling them. Before they climb down the rope, they elaborate and clarify the deal between them. The men said to her, verse 17, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. That's kind of like saying, we're really going to do it. Look, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. In other words, they want them to tie a little rope, a little cord, a red cord. Most rope wouldn't have been red. She wants a little red rope hanging through this window which you let us down and you will gather into us gather into your house your father and mother your brothers and your father's household then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street his blood will be on his own head and we shall be guiltless but if any but if a hand is laid on anyone with you in the house his blood shall be on our head but if you tell this business of ours then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear and she said according to your words so be it. So we have a deal. There's three parts to the deal. The first is she's got to mark the house with a cord. The second part is everybody who's going to be protected has to stay in the house because they can't, they're imagining that they're going to attack this city and have a you know, bloody hand-to-hand combat and they need them. You, if you don't want them killed, keep them in the house. That's what they're saying. And of course she has to keep their secret. That's the deal. And she agrees. Very quickly, the narrator goes right on and describes the events that follow. So then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. So the, the plan that Rahab had worked great. Then the two men returned, meaning returned to the camp of Israel. They came down from the hills and passed over passed over the Jordan, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So they give Joshua a report on what they've seen. And they say what Rahab had said. Rahab gave them the best intelligence possible. The people are demoralized because they know you're out there. And they're scared. And they know that your God, the God that created the heavens and the earth, is going to fight for you. So it's, it's great intelligence. And the spies give an encouraging report to Joshua. We don't hear anything about Rahab for the next three chapters, which describe the crossing of the Jordan. I should do it like this. The crossing of the Jordan from the, from the east to the west by the nation and uh, the first Passover, just barely across into the land, and the appearance of an angel to um, Joshua. 
And then just as the nation is poised to attack Jericho, in chapter 6, we read this. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. They closed the gates and they kept them locked. Okay, this was going to be a siege. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. And Joshua must have at least a little bit thought, well, not yet, right? I mean, because really, like they're all locked up. It's going to take us months to starve them out. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpets, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So the Lord doesn't apparently need the seals. He needs a band, right? A marching band, to be precise. The Navy band, okay? I guess I didn't think about that when I wrote this. And so they march. And, of course, you know this story. And, of course, the Lord intervenes. And this happens just the way he said. And the walls do fall down. Of course, the part we're interested in is this. Joshua gives an instruction that Rachel, Rahab be saved. And so she is. Rahab the prostitute, verse 25, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy, sent to spy out Jericho. I want you to think about this for a second. What's happened to this story? Rahab is a Canaanite, not a Jew. She's a prostitute. She's not a warrior. She is a very unlikely candidate to serve the God of the Jews as he leads his people into the land. Her first service to the God who gave the Ten Commandments and said, don't bear false witness, was to lie. I mean, I'm skipping over the whole prostitute thing, right? I mean, the text really pretty much skips over it. It doesn't make a big thing about it. And Rahab was roundly criticized. No, it doesn't say that. In fact, it doesn't criticize her at all, really. It does say what she was. It does show what she did. She's a traitor to her own people. This is not exactly the kind of candidate that we would have expect, expected. She gave the spies important intelligence about the city. She hid them and helped them escape. She forms an agreement with them. It's really very hard to understand. Why was she the person God chose? Because she's not the kind of person we would have chosen. Well, I want you to flip over to the New Testament where Rahab is mentioned in, in three different places. We're going to look mainly at Hebrews 11. You, you've read Hebrews 11 before. It's sometimes called the Hall of Faith because these are people that are described as having um, tremendous faith. The writer begins with an explanation of what faith is. And he says, or she says, Priscilla, that covered that, right? Okay. Some, there, there is some thought that, that Hebrews might have been written by Priscilla, the Priscilla and Aquila Priscilla. Um, and so Whenever I mentioned Hebrews, Priscilla would like me to mention that it might have been Priscilla that wrote it. Not my Priscilla, but you got that. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. 
By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He's describing what faith is. And then the best description, at least the best description that God seems to think of having the, to, to tell about faith is to show people who had it. And so he describes the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, jo- Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. And then we read this down in verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, this is the Exodus, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days because they were believing God to do this weird march around Jericho, right? By faith, he says, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, meaning her fellow fellow people from the city, who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. And you don't have to tell those stories because they're all in the Old Testament and the readers would know those stories. The last one he tells the story of is Rahab. And then at the bottom of the chapter it says this, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now, of course, the whole story of Hebrews is about that the perfect sacrifice, God's final way of dealing with sin, was not the, all the sacrifice of animals, but it was a sacrifice of his son, and that's what he's referring to here. So the writer of Hebrews names Rahab with 15 other people as examples of faith. But still, I'm having a little bit of problem with this. This is a woman who's a Okay, she's a prostitute, she's a liar, she's a Canaanite, she's a traitor. She's, she's great. I mean, I, it's not the way I would look at it. But she's somebody who hoped for something to come, wouldn't come in their time, but would surely come. In James as well, Rahab is praised for her faith, which led her to act. A faith that was worked out in what she did. God chose her and used her as an example of faith. I'm, I'm afraid I might not have done that. I'm afraid that if Rahab sat across from me with her resume and I had a little conversation with her, I might not have taken her. She didn't fit the job description, you know? She had no military experience. She's not a member of the right ethnic group. She's a prostitute. She lies like she's born to it. These are the kind of employee you want. She's willing to turn traitor. Well, if you can betray your people, you could betray me, right? She's a woman in a time where there was certainly absolutely no advantage to being a woman. She's not qualified. Now, I don't know whether you feel qualified. Maybe a, maybe a few here think you are prepared, tough, strong, smart, unbreakable, the Navy SEALs of the faith, so to speak. Maybe that's what you feel. I don't know. 
You could leave now because I have nothing to say to you. But I suspect that there are many, many more who understand all too well that you're not qualified. I'm not qualified. Do you think differently? Do you act differently? Do you miss, miss the social cues of, of the conversations you're in? Do you have trouble praying? Do you have trouble studying or singing or staying joyful? Do you have trouble being obedient when you're supposed to be obedient? Have you failed in your marriage or your job? Did you learn long ago to abuse alcohol? Have you been in trouble with the law? Are you broken? Does your heart melt in you? Are you discouraged? Are you the wrong ethnicity or the wrong gender? Honestly, we might have trouble seeing what God's going to do with you. But God has no such failure of imagination. Rahab's faith was in the Lord, not in herself. Her qualification was simply that she believed God would do what he had said. And she acted on it. Because it wouldn't be enough, this is what James is talking about, wouldn't be enough to believe it in your head and not act on it. She acted on it. She said to the spies, The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and over the earth, on the earth beneath. She's right. He was. And he is. And Rahab's faith continued throughout her life. She apparently lived out her life in Israel as an adopted part of the nation that she had thrown in her lot with. She lived out her life in the land that God had given his people, now her people. And Rahab's faithfulness continues to bear fruit long, long after she had died. For she is the great, 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 a lot of greats, grandmother of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Messiah. qualification was simply that she believed God and she acted on that belief. And her life continues to bear fruit today as we consider her example and the God who made her. In fact, an unqualified success. She was in no way the person we would have chosen, but she was the person that God would choose. Let's pray. We are completely unqualified before you, O God. And as we consider what you say you will do and how you will, how you will redeem the world we live in, we, we really don't think we're, we're not signing up for the seals, okay? We're not, we don't see ourselves like that. We're not strong, we're not smart, we're not fast, we're clearly not unbreakable. Many of us are, are slow and dumb and broken now already. And we've chosen against you far too many times. 
and we're not faithful and we're not reliable and we're just not honestly if you interview us for this job we're going to say no you shouldn't hire me and yet when we read the story of Rahab just not the person I would have chosen like many people in the scripture you didn't choose them because of how great they were how they were the obvious people to become the elite you chose you chose them you chose her because of who you were and we come here now recognizing that you've chosen us and you've redeemed us and you're building us into the kind of people both corporately and individually that you want us to be we are the body of Christ and we're way unqualified for that we ask that you would inhabit our weakness with your strength and inhabit our foolishness with your wisdom and inhabit our brokenness with your wholeness and continue the redemption that you've begun in us that we might serve you and that we might be an example with Rahab of those who's, who are examples of faith who believe you and believe you'll be faithful and believe you'll do what you promised and act on that Help us to be those people this week in Jacksonville. Or is it Jesus' name?